Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this show explores the topics of security, technology, society, and human meaning. Every Monday, there's a news and analysis episode that curates tens of hours of reading into a concise 15-minute summary, as well as regular episodes featuring essays, interviews, and book reviews on these same topics. The goal is to provide a weekly, concise, and curated update on the most interesting things happening in the world, and to explore ideas that give you something to think about and prepare you for what's coming next. All right, in today's standalone episode, I'm going to talk about some new gaming ideas that I've not seen anywhere else and have their creator, Andrew Ringline, come on and talk about them. Andrew was also on a previous episode where we talked about crypto and how it changes incentives and business. So I've been a steady, casual gamer since high school, and it was actually Andrew that introduced me to role-playing games way back then. Andrew is a diehard gamer, super close friend, and quite simply, the smartest game designer I've ever met. And now he's actually built a game studio and is in the middle of launching two games. But before I bring him on, I want to talk about why I thought these ideas warranted a UL episode. So he's a close friend, but I have lots of friends, and I only create UL content around ideas that I think will be interesting to the audience. What I personally find most interesting in the gaming space is not really the games themselves, but new things happening with games, the engagement mechanisms, how the content is being created how people are incentivized to create their own content, and how changing rules change incentives and then change behavior. Basically, I'm excited about how new games change gaming itself. So I've talked to Andrew throughout the creation of his new games and had a bit of input, and I knew the general direction. But the other day, I spent over an hour doing a brain dump of everything he thinks is unique about the game he is currently releasing, which is called Rifters. And I've broken these mechanisms and I've broken these ideas into six rifter mechanics. First, core gaming concepts. So just to get out of the way, NFTs are a big part of this game. He came up with this during the NFT climax earlier in 2022. But luckily for the game and its legacy, it's not about hyping some sort of NFT, which is the worst part about the whole space, in my opinion. Rather, it's a mechanism for getting NFT united groups to come and play in the game. So the NFT thing is kind of ever-present, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it's just a mechanic, not the entire point. In fact, the entire point is something completely separate. So here are the main mechanics. The first concept is what he calls reactive reality. This is where things happening within the game itself, as well as adjacent to the game and other mediums, all affect the nature of reality inside the game. So think of the physics engine, the strength of items, the relative power of different magic types, they're all dynamically modifiable based on player activity. So imagine packs with gods where you make deals and promises, and in return, something you actually desire can happen in the world. The second concept is highly tied to that first one, and it deals with the existence of simultaneous realities for the game. That means the main game is happening within the game itself, within a browser, but dialogue and activity is actually taking place simultaneously on Discord or Twitter or even in meat space, you know, in regular reality, physical reality. And all those other realities are tying in with the first major concept. Those actions in Discord or Twitter or live on Earth can directly and significantly affect the rules and outcomes of the game. The third concept is gamification of pro-community behaviors, which he calls crossover incentives. In other words, it's a Discord-adjacent game that wraps community desirable actions, such as talking about the community on social media or looking for people who are trash-talking the community. And it actually incentivizes those people to do those actions that help the Discord community, that help the channel, that help the brand, that help the group, the club, and incentivizes those things inside of the game. So this is the first game ever made, to my knowledge, where an action on Discord or Twitter were in front of the Oakland Coliseum holding up a giant sign or something, can materially alter a game's fundamental reality. Not as a hack or as a trick, but built directly into the game engine from the very beginning. Tons of the game's underlying variables are adjustable from external inputs, giving players across multiple mediums, like Discord, Twitter, or physical, more control than ever over a game. So the concepts are reactive reality, simultaneous realities, and crossover incentives. 
And when you combine these, you end up with a completely new type of game that merges game community and reality into one, which is referred to as metagaming. Think meta in RPGs combined with mixing worlds. So you have the game itself that has adjustment and change built right into its core, which is reactive reality. Then you have gaming activity happening across multiple dimensions simultaneously, including in-game on Twitter, Discord, or physically, and that's simultaneous realities. And then you have in-game activities affecting real-world communities, and vice versa, which is crossover incentives. Here are a couple of examples. Let's say you just had a major player die within your clan within Rifters, and you really wish you could resurrect them. You could speak with a game avatar and forge an agreement that says if you get 10 influencers of X amount of power to take the following action, that will create enough power outside of the game to cross over into Rifters and it will give you the ability to resurrect them. Or let's say you create some amazing item in the game and you want to give it ungodly powers. You can go to an avatar and make a deal in which you bring X number of new viewers into a given location. And that attention will result in the avatar being pleased with you in-game, giving you the ability to forge a plus five weapon instead of a plus two weapon. Or maybe it turns that weapon into a plus five weapon. And it's up to you to navigate that pact. To include what you want to have and not include what you don't want to have. And sort of you're, you're bargaining with like this, this, uh, this demon or whatever to get exactly what you want. And crucially, this isn't a change that happens just for you in your own instance, right? That is a plus five weapon across the entire world. And if you want to make like a paladin bubble less powerful, or you want to make area of effect weapons more powerful or less powerful or whatever, when you make such a pact, it affects the underlying physics of the game. So you are literally able to leverage your community, your network, and most importantly, your creativity to forge packs that affect the underlying rules of the game and everyone in it. So those are the main elements, but here's some additional mechanisms that add to virality. So one is personalized items. So items are created within Rifters, and yes, these are NFTs, that are named after specific individuals in, in life, right? So it's like Will Wheaton's Wand of Woe. Anyone else can wield it, and it will be a fine weapon. It's like a plus one or whatever. And, you know, Maybe because it's Will Wheaton's uh, wand, it, it can also fix any technical problem because he had that ability. But if Will Wheaton actually shows up himself into Rifters, it becomes a plus five weapon and he gets its own custom art and a whole list of additional buffs. Plus the guilty joins that he enters with will get a ton of additional advantages, both in game as well as their Discord community. Again, crossing the boundary between real and game worlds. Next one is tribal CTF. One of the most primary dynamics here is that you have eight factions. These are NFT factions. These are clubs, basically. Forget the NFT part, forget blockchain, forget all that. These are clubs and clubs are dynamic by themselves. They, they have tribalism built in. It's like, it's us versus them. And that, that's a cool dynamic in gaming, at least. So these eight factions make up each game. And the fact that there are each NFT communities this allows you to say something like, hey, we're going against board apes and rifters. Let's go kick some ass, right? So it's us versus them. It's our, our NFT against them. It's our Discord against their Discord. So that's really powerful for virality and getting people in. Because you're going to ba basically go to a group that's not really participating, sign them up and say, yeah, your, your uh, club is participating in this. And they're like, what, really? Oh, I guess I need to show up and check it out. So yet another mechanism to pull people in. The next one is importance mapping, which is a bit controversial, but the more powerful a given item is, uh, and in this model, it's an NFT. So if you bring an NFT from another world, it is more powerful inside of Rifters, right? So the, the more important or powerful that particular item is, that particular NFT is, you know, if it's an axe or sword or whatever it is, a shield, it will be more powerful inside of Rifters. So again, this is incentivizing big clubs with powerful NFTs and powerful items, whatever those items are, to bring them into the game. And again, think about game design here. Think about what makes a game go viral. This is not about the NFT itself. This is about making people want to play and getting benefits from the time and effort that they've invested 
in these clubs and in these NFTs and in these items, right? If you have a virtual item and it's a virtual sword or something, what can you do with it? This is the big question of NFTs, right? And Rifters answers that by saying, take that thing, which has been sitting on a virtual shelf with your virtual item doing virtually nothing and bring that to an actual game where it matters, where all your investment and all your time has an impact. And the bigger you are, the bigger that item is, the more powerful it will be. So you could show up and just like cleave through some people or, you know, beat everyone in a tournament or kill a giant demigod or whatever right? You could do all kinds of cool stuff just by virtue of owning one of those NFTs. And when someone on the outside who doesn't even play this game finds out about this, they will be inclined to come and participate. And that's why we have it listed here in the systems for virality. And that brings the complete list to reactive reality, simultaneous realities, crossover incentives, personalized items, tribal CTF, and importance mapping. So those are some of the core ideas with a few examples. And uh, now we can get into the conversation with Andrew. So we talk about the main concepts, how the ideas play off of each other, how he got here, um, how he sees this affecting gaming going forward, like outside of NFT gaming, just gaming in general, and what kind of reactions he's had so far. And with that, here is Andrew Ringlein. All right, Andrew, welcome back to Unsupervised Learning. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I will have already introduced you um, and given the preface and everything prior to us starting, including the last show that we did together. Okay, so yeah. um, before we get started, and I've got some questions for you, um, tell me what's going on with uh, your new game with Rifters and uh, how it even started. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me, first of all. Uh, so we did a podcast together that... Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about the, the the powerful kind of gaming magnifiers in crypto gaming. Uh, and I'm a really big believer in, in Web3 and how crypto gaming is, is going to be this, this powerful force in the future for a lot of different reasons. Well, one of the things that happened to me uh, after we had done that podcast was I had a very clear idea of these various magnifiers. And I was working with three different uh, billion dollar game companies, uh, two of them being game companies, one of them being a guild. And, you know, we would go in and we would give strategic advice and then leverage our technology and it's very hard to, be, to move a, a billion dollar company. They just have a lot going on and, you know, they can have a little bit of a deaf ear to someone who's telling them how maybe they could be doing some things better to, to leverage their communities and, and the technology. And on the flip side, I went on a tour and I visited a lot of different uh, projects and went to different conventions and met with a lot of really degen game builders who just had no resources and were trying desperately to have a game with, you know, some single function. And then I went to the Mecca of game development, which is GDC, uh, Game Developers Conference. And I went into a session on crypto gaming and there were 300 developers in there who were all trying to build crypto games. And somebody on stage said, Hey, who all here is trying to use other people's NFTs in their games. And this is a very important idea of connecting different communities together. It's one of the viral tactics that is, that is just huge. And they asked this question from the stage. They clearly knew it was an important question. And I looked around the room and not a single hand went up. So here I have this sort of trifecta of this experience of like the game developers mecca. Everyone is trying to build crypto games and literally no one is thinking about including other people's NFTs because they want to sell a fence in their own backyard and then sell stuff out of their own location and not use other people's things. Uh, it's like nobody wants to build a road for all the cars that exist. They want to build their own railroad and then make you have to buy their, their thing, right? Uh, well, when you combine those things together, my experiences with the billion dollar companies, uh, my experience with DGen projects, and then seeing this happen in... GDC, I left that room just shocked. And I called some of my colleagues uh, at Community 3 and said, hey, listen, literally nobody is, is building the right games. Uh, these ideas are very strong. They're profound. They're going to change the world of gaming and, and no one's doing it. And people are focused on short-sighted, you know, like let's, let's make some money in the door. Uh, people are caught in doing the old thing they used to do. Uh, and literally none of these, these new game developers, the DGen game developers and the billion dollar companies, none of them were using all those, those power principles. Not all of them. They were using like one or two. Uh, and so myself and some other people uh, from Community 3 got together and decided to start our own game studio. And that was earlier in the year. And that is what has led us to today. Awesome. So you mentioned these concepts, um, which, uh, which are calling metagaming. And we've got, so reactive realities, simultaneous realities, crossover incentives 
personalized items and tribal CTF. Do you want to take uh, take the first one, reactive reality? You know, before I do that, let me actually address just the idea of, of metagaming for for a second, because not only are all, all these elements are, are powerful, but let's let's just talk about a user for a second. Uh, if you have a user on a mobile phone uh, compared to a user playing a PC game or a user on a console, a console has a controller that's in your hand. It's very arcade friendly. A PC has a mouse and buttons. A mobile phone is a small little screen that's in your pocket all the time. These game experiences are different from one another. And people understand that they are different and they build the meta of these games differently. Mobile game developers do not think they are targeting a PC audience with the mobile game that you're playing with your thumbs on your phone, right? So the, the meta gaming elements are very well known, PC gaming, console gaming, mobile phone, you go and you just do that thing. But nobody is taking a holistic approach of, hey, listen, what are the meta game elements that are different in this Web3 space that are appropriate in this Web3 space that, that we can leverage that are good or you know we're either avoiding a liability or we're leaning into something that's even better. And so that metagaming is like, this is a new place to play and a new technology to play. What are the things that we can leverage that are this metagame? You would never try to build a mobile game that is identical to you know, a console game. Like you just wouldn't do it because you understand the meta is different. But now we're in a new world of Web3 gaming and no one is thinking like, wait, the meta is different. How do I build a game that's different? And so as we go through these things, these are all part of metagaming, which is these are things that are different in Web3 uh, that we can lean into, that we can leverage, that are more effective. Uh, and, and I think no one is really thinking this way. Okay, so is it combining all the metas from previous gaming and mixing that with Web3, or is it the Web3 meta itself? I think it's an element of both, because there are things that will work even better in Web3 that exist in Web2, and there are brand new things. Uh, and so we just need to think about the gaming meta in a, in a different light, right? Okay, who is this user? How is he interacting with various things? And this is one of the most telling things that people in the space, when I go through the various elements of this game, they, they go, oh, yeah, like, you know, like your game has to really take into account Discord because Discord yeah. is the universe. Discord is the platform, just like if you're on a PlayStation, you need to account for the fact that you've got a controller in your hand and you're watching on a TV. Let's know. And people, you have to know what it is you're building for in, inside of Web3. And so this metagaming concept is what are the elements that we should be leveraging? And then there's also a bunch of new things we're going to talk about that have just never been done before. And there's a reason each one of them is easier to do or better to do in Web3. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the first thing that struck me, a lot of people in Web3 or Metaverse, they, they get struck by, um, you know, the, the big one, Ready Player One. Um, yep. But what struck me when you were talking about this was a never-ending story. Because, yep. uh, you know, he's physically reading a book, but the story is happening inside the book. And those two things are both interacting. And that's, Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're jumping ahead to, to, to the item of, you know, reactive uh, reality. But uh, just before this podcast, I was on literally right now. And, you know, there's... Uh, demigods who are trying to shape the game. One of the demigods just blessed someone with unholy power. You know, we're not even in the game yet. The game hasn't even launched yet. And I've got assassins who are, you know, killing people and a paladin who's trying to stop them. And all these these game events are happening and the game hasn't even launched yet. But there's a pregame because I can use the other elements of reality. Uh, but we'll get into that when we get into that, that item. Well, yeah, well, the first one is reactive reality. So, um, and this is the fundamental nature of like the game engine itself being changed by activities, right? Yeah, so so one of the things that you know, uh, I'm a longtime fan of, of role playing games, and uh, you know, there's something in a, in a in a live game, the universe actually reacts to you in a, in a real way, and you change the universe uh, in terms of a tabletop role playing game. And one of the things that that we had realized when we were designing this this uh, framework was a we wanted a game development framework that we could use to rapidly create games. Uh, there's a flaw in uh, in play to own and play to earn games in that they have shorter content life cycles than uh, more major games. Every single game actually has content life cycles. Whether you're playing WoW or Fortnite, there's seasons, there's new characters, there's new role-playing, there's new whatever. But the cycle is actually faster in play-to-own because the, the economic mechanics are, are a little bit more important. Uh, but every single game has this same, this same element where you constantly need content. So rather than just make a game and have it eventually you know, get old and then try to update it, we decided to make a game framework so we could lead into more rapid iteration. We could be building more worlds and more games all at once by having a game framework. And by having built a game framework that allowed us to create worlds really quickly to stay on top of the fact that the content is going to burn out even faster so we can create these game events that are semi-role-playing, role-playing-ish, uh, we discovered that, wait, once we make it so it's hyper-reactive, we suddenly have a bunch of other powers that have never been had before. Uh, and because we have this, now we can go to other layers of reality and have those layers of reality come back and change the game. We can have things happen in Discord, happen on Twitter, 
happen on Zoom, happen in, in front of a Coliseum, come back and actually change the game uh, in a real way because the game engine is one that is, is so reactive. We made it reactive so we could easily build worlds and so we could easily shape the story and adjust to real communities actually having desire to change it in some way or, or real world events. And then we realized, okay, wait, we made this reactive framework. Let's lean into this. How do we bring it to these other layers of reality? And it began to solve all kinds of really interesting engagement problems because we're trying to get people on Twitter engaged. We're trying to get influencers engaged. We're trying to get people in Discord engaged. And suddenly we're like, wait, all of these are just game feats, right? And now we have our demigods, which are a bunch of influencers who really, really matter in Web3, who normally get paid enormous amounts of money to go and chill things. Instead, now they're playing a game. And now they can literally like, make wishes and grant boons to their followers or people who appeal to them. It's super fun and awesome for them. People come in and say, hey, listen, I, I beseech you, my glorious demigod, will you please raise me from the dead, right? <laughs> it's super fun when you're an influencer. Now you're like, you know, I've got a thing to tweet about that isn't just in Web3 showing my bad. So, so they're sitting in the regular world, just minding their own business. Someone pings them and asks them to do this. They realize it's in some, inside of some kind of game they don't know about. But if they engage, they're now participating in this game. They've now been pulled in and now whatever they do, yes or no, or whatever action they take, it affects the game. That's right. Yeah. And so it, it, it serves as both a recruiting mechanism to get influencers and promoters on board, uh, as well as engaging them and keeping them around. So they, they keep doing something, you know, periodically that then affects the game and it brings it to another layer, layer of reality. And Web3 is very influenced by influencers. So it's just a reality of like, Again, we go back to the meta concept, right? Uh, Web3 is influenced by influencers a lot. Okay, great. Well, let's not avoid that. Let's lean into that. How do we leverage the thing we've already built? How do we leverage this reactive framework to go and engage uh, those influencers in a fun way in the game? And so, so far, it has gotten a really good response. Like about a week ago, uh, I basically told some members of the community about demigods. And there is literally a list of 25 people that are very hard to reach. Each and every one of them is very influential. Most of them are multimillionaires who just shill their own bags. And a bunch of the community members went and reached out. And I think we've had about 10 of the 25 be like, oh, wow, that sounds really fun and cool. And I, I want to be a part of that. Uh, now, normally, if you want to go try to like hire those 10 people, it's going to cost you. I mean, hiring those 10 people probably costs $2 million. Uh, but getting them interested to be involved because people are framing it in a fun way. And because they get to be part of this first reactive experience inside of the game, uh, that's a total game changer. Yeah. So, and you were mentioning demigods uh, before we got on the call. Um, what types of actions can they take that can affect the reactive reality? Like, give an example of what they might do. Yeah. And by the way, the demigods is the simplest example because it's the most broad, but there are a lot of other examples too that I think it's particularly time to go into all of them. But the, the demigods can basically make one wish per week on Twitter. And the, the wish has to be in a certain format. It has to have the hashtag and the at for the rifters. Uh, Twitter account, uh, and then they can make any wish they want. They can literally wish for anything. They're only ever allowed to wish the same type of wish once. So it has to be unique. You can't do the same thing over and over again. Uh, and they can wish for anything in regards to the game or game adjacent. And based on the power of that person's social media influence, their, their demigod rank, uh, and how they phrased it, we interpret that, and then we, we implement that inside of the game. So one of the groups that just uh, asked for a, uh, a demigod is the Solana Yacht Club. Uh, basically, it's a it's the board ape group that is representative on Solana, uh, and they have some people in there who are pretty big influencers and themselves as a group. They they held us away, right? They're they're like the the board apes on Solana. They are literally the board apes on Solana, uh, and they really want one of these demigods. Uh, and one of their founders is a you know big time gamer, and he's super excited about being able to like mess with people or you know even derive value and be like, you know what? I want to wish myself to have the most rare item I possibly can. Or, you know what, this person pissed me off. I want to try to strike them dead in the game. Or, you know what, I want there to be a statue in the game of a board ape. In particular, my board ape. I want my board ape to be a golden statue. And if anybody who prays to it can get a blessing. And he can make that wish. And we can literally, in the course of a morning, add in a golden statue of a board ape uh, where you pray to it and you get given this thing called a, a blessing. It's one of the status effects. Uh, and we can add it in morning. And he can literally just be like, I want to do this thing. And a lot of people will see it. A lot of people on ETH, a lot of people on Solana will go, what the heck is going on? This guy just added a statue to himself inside of a game. I, I kind of want to go see that. Like, what is that? That is, that is bizarre. Uh, and, and that creates constant attention and it, it takes that layer of reality and brings it to the game. 
Well, so so here's a question for you. Um, and we were going to do this later, but might as well get into it now. So, where do you draw the line between wanting to maintain the in-game environment versus allowing them to like bring board apes, for example, into the game? Like, do you do you demand that they sort of theme it so it becomes part of the game, or is it allowed to be like a sore thumb sticking out there, like an avatar of the outside? Yeah. So actually, the the nature of the game itself is called Richters. And the idea of Rifters is that there is uh, the very first version of the game. Uh, there's multiple of these, but is a Rift Lord has escaped from his eternal prison, and he has journeyed to this land called Kalanvale, and he's ripped open all of these rifts to different worlds. And through these rifts have fallen car keys and cars and you know a crashed spaceship and board apes and the gods and you know uh, world of women and various NFTs from completely different worlds have fallen through this. So the, the premise of the game is there is basically a fantasy world, like picture a D&D world or a Lord of the Rings world. And they were just happy, you know, with, okay, they've got some evil demons to go fight now and again, and they've got, you know, the king and magical powers and paladins protecting them. Well, unfortunately, beings from all over different universes have just crashed on their head, including this Rift Lord who is trying to take over the kingdom. And now there are all these different collections who are playing in this world. So you've got a mashup of this fantasy, you know, there's elves and there's dwarfs uh, and there's paladins and there's demons. Well, and then you have board apes. Board apes don't fit. But the part of the story is, yeah, the board apes just fell through a rift. They're called rifters. And so you can kind of do a lot of different things. There's no sore thumbs because the entire premise is this is a mashup of beings from all kinds of different worlds, and they're causing trouble in different ways. Love that. Um, and the next one here, these all sort of play off each other, but the next one here is simultaneous realities. Um, and I think this one alludes to, correct me if I'm wrong, the fact that what's happening on Twitter is real. What's happening in Discord is real. And it's simultaneous with what's happening inside the game. They're, they're yeah, just the different modes. Do this, we already covered this a bunch in the last topic, right? We talked about, we're going by topic by topic. The, the, the reality reaction framework uh, gave us the power to do this, this uh, simultaneous reality. And I really loved when you mentioned it, we talked last time, uh, never ending story comparison. Because 100%. Like never ending story is a, uh, a movie that is reacting to sort of itself in another layer of reality. Yeah. Right. Uh, it is all inside of the one reality. It is literally one reality, but it's pretending to be two layers of reality. Uh, same thing is true of Princess Bride. It's literally one layer of reality, but it's pretending to be two layers of reality. We've actually created four layers of reality that are all capable of reacting to each other. Right. There is basically the the real world. Like, hey, like I, I'm going to charge uh, these this assassin group. Right. So there's this group of people who are the Ebony Mask, and they are doing dark deeds for payment in the game. Right. And they are like doing stuff in Discord and they're spying. They're like, hey, go find people who are talking shit about us and come back and report it. Uh, you know what? Go to uh, go to an event and tell us who our biggest competitors there are. Mm -hmm. uh, like we can literally charge people in the game to do things that are role playing themed that are of interest to the game company that are fun for them to go do. Right? So do we have like a LARP crossover almost? It is a lore crossover, yeah. So, but like, you know, you, you tell me, like, I'm a fan of, you know, World of Warcraft. If it's like, wait a second, I can get a more powerful item or an interesting role. If I go to this convention I was going to anyway, and now I've got a secret mission of collecting business cards or, you know, taking pictures of people, me behind their backs pretending to stab them or gathering intel uh, or recruiting other players or walking around with a sign saying, like, come play Rifters, right? Or getting a hold of one of the top influencers who's going to be at this event. Whatever those things might be, People like to have stuff to do, right? If someone's already going to go to that convention, don't they want to go do something that's involved in their game? And people have never really crossed this threshold before because there's not really very interesting things to do in games. Uh, but now there is because we happen to have created this reality reaction framework. So now we can we can really enable and lean into these other layers of reality. We can lean into the meet space. We can lean into Discord. We can lean into Twitter. And, and we knew we had to do this because Discord was such a big component of Web3 Gaming. You just, so half of the world is just present in Discord. So we knew we had to be reactive there. And once we had built sort of the framework and the ideas and the methodology and leaned into Discord, we're like, wait a second, hold on. Influencers are a massive portion and they live on Twitter. It's another layer of reality. Let's do that. Now, like, wait a second. Uh, these, these events and these meetups actually really matter. You know what? Let's do these events and meetups as well. And now we're reaching out into all these different layers of reality. Uh, and I believe it's going to pay some pretty significant dividends, especially in Web3, because Web3 lives in all these reality layers. It, actually, people go to parties with their NFT. The, there's very important gatherings where it costs you $100,000 at the door to have your right NFT to walk into that room. It's a very important party. 
Twitter unbelievably defines what people think about and are paying attention to in Web3, and then Discord is where people live. And by having built these hooks into those three other levels of reality, now we're doing actual never-ending story, where there's someone reading yeah. a book, playing a game, changing the game as they go. Yeah, I love this. And then that takes us right to the third one, which is crossover incentives. So like you said, you could basically incentivize somebody to find out who their competitors are, or find out who's talking crap, or, I don't know, get an autograph from a certain person, or recruit a certain influencer. And that physical action in reality, in, in physical reality, in meat space, gives them some kind of advantage inside the game or inside the Discord community. Yeah, this type of crossover incentive, this is a thing that we do at you know C3, Community 3, uh, uh, my other company, a great deal, where we give people incentives for performing different kinds of actions. And you give them the right incentive. You, know, you want to get someone to do something, you give them the right incentive. If they have the right incentive, they'll go and do it. So how do we leverage all of the right incentives so we can get people to go do all these different layers of reality uh, that are empowered by this reality reaction framework? and you create the right incentives. Now we have multiple types of incentives. Uh, you know, that, that's everything from, you know, in-game currencies to uh, roles, to roles in Discord, to roles in Twitter. And actually every single one of the elements of reality has another way you can give an incentive. Like what's the incentive we gave to demigods? Well, actually their incentives are engagement. People will come and show up because they've got cool things. They actually have an NFT that is actually gonna be worth a, a pretty penny because they can sell it and someone else could adopt that demigod status. So their incentives are increasing the value of their, of their NFT and engagements with their community. Well, they have another third thing they can do, which is they can, they can create value in any other layer of reality, right? And so we have given them incentives to behave in a way that we want them to behave. Now we're giving incentives to people in Discord. Uh, and now we're giving incentives to people inside of game, which is very typical. Now, most companies go, okay, how do I create incentives in game for the behaviors I want? And we're going, no, no, it's not just about incentives inside of the game. How do we create incentives that makes you go and bring 10 more people to come play this game or makes you go do a podcast about it, right? Whatever the incentives are that will drive you to do behaviors that aren't only in a game, but that also drive awareness, they drive marketing, they drive recruitment, uh, they drive engagement in other platforms. Yeah, very cool. And the fourth one here is one of my favorites, uh, personalized items. Yeah, this is a very uh, sort of focused inside of the game thing that, uh, that we, we learned basically in community three from years of testing different uh, mini games and engagements, there's a very specific thing that is super fun. Uh, and I ex actually expect that this is the one that is the easiest for a game that is being built to copy. And I expect this to spread like wildfire. Like we're going to do this in rifters and people are going to go, Oh, wow, I want to do all these things. Well, they're not gonna have a reality reaction framework. They're not gonna really iterate their game in real time because they didn't build it that way. And so the three previous things we talked about are going to be like, yeah, you can't really do that very easily because you didn't start with that framework. Right. Mm. Uh, this fourth one, though, is pretty easy to copy, so I expect it to be copied all over the place. Uh, the idea is that inside of this game, uh, you are capable of creating and then minting unique items. Every single item in the game will be completely unique. There will only ever be one of any given item. And the single most unique thing of the item is its name. And its name is named after a player who is either playing this game or an important community member who is very adjacent to the game from one of the, the DAOs that's playing. So every, every item will be named after either a player in the game or somebody who is uh, who is associated with one of those players uh, in the game. That means that there are, you know, uh, there is a Daniel Miesler. Uh, I go play the game. You've also played the game. And I go and I find uh, D Miesler's, am I actually allowed to use your name on yeah. the podcast? Yeah. Man, okay. It's not quite sure, like your security, you're, you're so secret about so many things. No, no. Uh, so I go find D Miesler's Holy Avenger plus five. Now I happen to know you as a person, and if I found Dean Meesler's Holy Avenger plus five and I came to you and said, hey, listen, have you played this game? I have your Holy Avenger plus five. And you're like, yeah, I played it for a second, but I wasn't that interested. The second I show up with your plus five Holy Avenger, you're going to go, okay, well, hold on. I, I want my Holy Avenger. And everybody's item is stronger in their own hands, own hands than in someone else's. So it creates a really strong reason for people to go talk to one another. So if I go find, you know, uh, Soulport Tom's leg greaves of, of mighty strength and running, well, my first response is, well, you know, these are a cool item I can use in the game, but I'm also like, well, hold on. Like, I know who that person is, or I know where I can find that person. Do they want this item more than I do? And maybe I can trade this item for two items because the item is better for them. And so by attaching people's names to the items and then allowing people to, for the items to be stronger in their own hands, now we've created a reason with every single item you pick up, there is a person you want to go talk to. Yeah. And that conversation drives social engagement. And I've seen this. People love negotiating over something that relates to someone else. I, I saw this, we, we had this like mystery bag thing, giving out people's car keys. 
And I tell you that if somebody picked up Daniel Mislow's car keys, the thing they wanted to do most was to go say, hey, Dan, I got your car keys. You want them back? <laughs> That's going to cost you five bucks to get your car keys back. And so we have items in this game, anything all the way up to like legendary items that are incredibly powerful in the file, all the way down from junk items like car keys or broken cups or, you know, uh, the steering wheel from your car, uh, your broken iPhone, uh, a love note, you know, from uh, Daniel, from Andrew Ringline to Daniel Leesler, dated uh, 1912. Like, what the hell is that? We don't know, but it will create conversation. Yeah. And it will create people trying to trade it with one another. And Web3, when you can create reasons to talk, that's great. Now you're creating engagement. You create reasons to trade. That's also great. That creates a commerce event where if I can sell you a Holy Avenger plus five, I've now made a whole bunch of money. And the game has made a small percentage of that. So the the residuals on people selling items to one another and trading items and going listing items, people will go to it to a marketplace over and over again just to see if anybody listed any item of their name. Because there are you know 10,000 people playing this game, you are never going to be able to find your own item by yourself. You have to find someone else who has your item or go find it in the marketplace. And you're sitting here scrolling through, well, you know what? Okay, again, today in the marketplace, there's no items there. Might, oh, wait, now I found one. Somebody has the Alchemist's uh, Lightning Bolt. Okay, that is a pretty cool item, and I really want it. What the heck? They put it up here for $3,000. I am not going to spend $3,000 for the Alchemist Lightning Bolt. But you know what? Let me go chat with this guy and see if I can talk him down. And you know what? I've got a couple of items. Maybe I can trade him two of my items for, for, for the Alchemist Lightning Bolt. Now I've created a conversation. I've created a reason for a trade. Uh, and I've seen this in, in effect in, a pa in the past. And people love this, this dialogue point. It makes it a lot of fun to discuss with other people. Yeah. And I guess the reality... Um reactor reality framework, the set bonus, like you could potentially institute a set bonus that if you have all your own named items gives you some kind of tremendous advantage. Yeah. So we, so we do, we do have uh, set bonuses, uh, that basically if you acquire three items, of the same name. So let's just say that Daniel Meisler doesn't end up playing this game where you play once and then you never show up again. Right. And I find a Daniel Meisler item and I can't get a hold of you because you're not playing. And then I go to the store and I see another Daniel Meisler item and I go, Oh wait, hold on. If I grab that, I only need one more and I've got a set. And so I grabbed that item from the store. And now I'm always telling people, hey, listen, if you encounter a Daniel Meisler item, I'm your guy. And then now I'm building a Daniel Meisler set. And how awesome is that? At some point in time, you come back in, you're like, wait a second. I just saw that in this game, the guy who, who's the champion of the arena is literally wearing a Daniel Meisler set of artifacts. Like, how awesome is that? And they're even better if they're in your hands. Right. So, uh, yeah, this is a really fun element uh, that I that I've seen in the past. That I, I believe will go very well, and I believe that lots of other games will try to copy this uh, in the in the near future. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, and the next one is Tribal CTF, which feels like it could have been at the beginning, but the whole idea of just reaching out to these eight NFT communities and saying your your community is now playing, whether you do anything or not, like they are playing, you come participate, right? You've yeah. just instantly pulled so many people in. Yeah, and that's the thing. Everybody is trying to create their own group of players, right? So everyone's trying to go make their own game in their own backyard and then bring everyone to their front doorstep. Well, the thing is, the players in the current Web3 world, they're attached to projects. And they, they have a home. They have an identity. They, they're a part of Board Apes. They're a part of the gods. They're a part of King of Three, right? And they have an identity. They have a PFP. They have a group to hang out with. They chat. Uh, and and there, there are a lot of gamers, but, but they really have a pride of the school that they're in. And this was that first thing that kind of led us into being, you know what, we got to make it ourselves because literally no one is thinking this way. How do I make a game that includes all of them? How do I make a game so they can show up and play with their own NFT? I've got a Mercedes sitting in the car. I've got, a, I've got an NFT that cost me 30 grand. And do I want to play a game with that NFT and go kick people's ass, right? And my NFT costs 30 grand. Your NFT costs five grand. Do I want to come and decapitate yours with my badass NFT? You, you bet I do. And when I can do that, what am I going to do? I'm going to tell all of my friends. This is a, one of the huge advantages in Web3 that is being overlooked is there are already really passionate and committed communities that have rivalries with one another who are really looking for, for things to do. And when you can do those as a tribe against another tribe, you get a lot of passion. And so this has been built very, very core to the, the Rifter's nature. Uh, we launched a game a month ago called Solana Winter War. And we launched this as a test to see how well this tribal warfare this DAO on DAO uh, action would go. And uh, we got 16 different DAOs, which are uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, but really they're, they're clubs. We got 16 different clubs to play in this. And inside of the game, their own art was used. And we used a very basic game, like a Plants versus Zombies. Uh, it took us a couple of weeks to sort of assemble this thing. And then we launched it with 16 DAOs. 
And in the course of one week, it became the most played game on Solana ever. Uh, in the course of three weeks, it became three times more played via MAUs, monthly active users, than any other uh, play-to-earn uh, game on Solana. Now, how much money is there in gaming on Solana? Uh, I could go to the news right now and I could find all kinds of people who've raised $50 million. Like I, I actually, I know someone who just raised $40 million with absolutely no game and nothing to come build a game on Solana because they have past history as a game builder. And they, they built a card game that was, that was middle tier successful. So they were literally given $40 million to come build a game on Solana. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're going to build a game. And that game is going to try to attract users to it. And it's <laughs> if they do okay, it's going to have one third of the users of a game that cost us two nickels to build and four nickels to market uh, and had three times more adoption than any other game on Solana because we followed this tribal warfare idea. Mm -hmm. uh, now, based on the ecosystem being in a deep, deep bear market and very low levels of engagement and a couple of missteps uh, that we made in marketing, I'd say that in our different environments, we would have been nine times more than, than the most played game on Solana. But we actually made a couple of mistakes and the market was really terrible for virality. Uh, and so we only managed to triple the engagement of the next most engaged game. <laughs> uh, that's not going to be true of Rifters because it's it's both uh, has a longer play cycle, uh, but also we managed to correct for kind of the lessons learned from Solana Winter War. Uh, so uh, I certainly expect that this game will be played at least five times, if not 20 times more often than other games in Solana. It's going to have a really high value. Uh, all the things we've already talked about are going to make this a singular event when it comes out, like nothing like has ever been done before. Yeah, one thing that really fascinates me about this whole thing is the fact that you're not doing some crazy NFT project so you can raise money, so you can build a game. You've built a game which has NFT components, and it's already a fun game by itself. And you're yeah, using you know, morality honestly, to gather people in. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm going to say this, and this is going to get me in a lot of trouble, but, uh, but one of the things that, that really bothered me was uh, upfront fundraising. You know, in the in the Silicon Valley space, in the Web two space, you it's really hard to raise even a tiny amount of capital, and then you got to go prove yourself, and then you can raise more capital, and you prove yourself more, and you can raise more capital. And I've spent years in that world, and that world makes sense to me. And then I walk into this world where people are like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna I've got a screenshot of a thing, and I'm gonna go raise a million dollars off, right? And it it kind of bothers me to my soul. Uh, and what I, what I see happen, this is a totally different point that, that is even on a list of points, but what I've seen happen is people get caught in trying to always build hype uh, because the thing they did in the beginning that matters is hype. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, the only thing you need is marketing materials and hype, and that's what gets you your million dollars. And then you're like, I guess I'm making a game, but actually you've already established your sort of like internal values as being hype. And it's actually very hard to get out of that loop. And one of our, one of our billion dollar game companies really suffers from this. And I, I've been in meetings with every level of marketing and executive staff at this company, and they are stuck in this mindset of how do we build hype? Because when we build hype, it fuels the value of our token. And there's a different group of people living in a dark room who are thinking about their users and their players. And <laughs> Web3 gaming is not going to be sustained by hype alone. You actually need to have a game people care about playing. And so when I walk from room to room in this billion dollar company and find every single room that matters full of people talking about how do they hype what they're doing. And then there's three people in the corner chained to desks in a dark room in a cobwebs and spiders who are trying to figure out how to actually make a game, right? I go, this is a really reversed, perverse incentive and people aren't building the right way. Now, there are, there are Web2 companies building games that are focused on users who are not already here. But they're also clueless and they've got a long way to go and they're not building the right games. And then I've got the existing companies that have built the wrong games and don't care about the games. They care about the hype. Yeah. And so we actually started building Rifters and the initial idea was there is no fucking collection. Mm -hmm. And I had people come in and go, okay, here's what we do for collection. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. We are not doing a collection. Mm -hmm. We are making a game that people are going to want to play. This game is going to be viral. We're going to take over all of Web3 Gaming, but get the fuck out of here with your collection. Like, we're not raising money. We're making a game. Those are different actions. Yeah. And so we started making this game, and then the market got really, really bad. And it got, okay, you know what? It's going to be harder to drive virality. Okay, we probably can't blow up the world the way we thought we could have before. And then one of my colleagues, finally, after maybe five different versions of let's do a collection, was like, hey, listen, like, how about we do a collection that's weaker, but also more interesting? We added a bunch of other fun types of characters and roles, and we really broadened what could be done in this game. We still try to make the DAOs and the projects be the stars, but isn't there a room for another class of person, some wandering outcast? You know what? We'll make them an outcast. We'll make them a nomad or an exile, and everybody in the game will shit on them. 
but we're going to give them some advantages too. And we're going to create another class of person that people can buy into and play more affordably because Andrew, you're obsessed with having all these blue chips play the game because you want to get the, the most people who everyone is watching to create viral marketing. Let's make it so the average person can play the game by buying into the downtrodden messes. And he eventually won me over and then we converted to doing the collection as well. And now ironically, we're out here actually hype selling our collection before game launch uh, because a bunch of the characters we've added in the collection are actually going to make the game way more interesting. So it's actually more interesting to do the collection first. The game is paid for. Like, the game is built. Uh, we could actually build two more of the worlds that we have queued up with the funding that we already have. Uh, but we are actually doing a collection. That's the irony. Is all of this leads to, you know what, we ended up. And uh, fortunately, my executive producer, who's in charge of principal game production, he is a long, long-time gaming guy who is obsessed with user retention. And user retention flows from are they enjoying the game? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so if I go into a room and now I say, hey, by the way, we need to do this thing because it's going to create hype because I'm being sucked into this world of hype for a collection launch. His answer is, fuck you, Andrew. Like, we're making a game that people are going to want to play. Like, you can do your marketing stuff over there and go hype the collection up. But in this room, we're making the game that people want to play. Uh, well, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for him. And also thank goodness that you're a gamer first and a game designer first and, <laughs> yes, and you sure. kind of see, you know, NFTs as a sprinkle on top as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I want to make a game that, that, that changes game models that has broad adoption. That is super fun and super interesting. Like, you know, this is a, this is a dream for me to have kind of all of these opportunities here uh, kind of lined up in this way. So for certain, I mean, despite the fact that I have to sort of like right now be, be in a marketing mode, like I really care about the long term, uh, and, and I'm really looking forward to, the actual gameplay. I'm already involved in a little bit of the early gameplay, and it's super fun. And it's just going to get ten times better when when the actual game is out. Very cool. Um, I think we already talked about importance mapping, which was just like the strength of someone's external existing NFT correlates to the strength inside the game. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, actually, the same guy who really wanted to do the the lower uh, the the collection uh, really didn't like the idea of mapping strength to NFT because he's like, well, it's unfair. It's unfair. Well, it's actually not unfair. You know, a Ferrari drives faster than, you know, a 1970 Dodge. Uh, it, it actually is more fair that when you own something that is really prestigious and really expensive, that you have some way to showcase it. You can showcase it right now as your PFP on Twitter and in Discord. You can show people your piece of art. Uh, at parties, I occasionally bust out my most expensive NFT and show it to someone who's not Web3 and then tell them what it costs and have them go, you're a lunatic. That <laughs> tiny little doodle you know, that my, my kid could draw is worth, you know, 60 grand. Like that's insane. Yep. But when you own this, you want to be able to show it off, right? You want to be able to signal to the world that you have something cool. And what better way to signal that than to go into a game and decapitate somebody else. And they know you just killed them with your superior and stronger NFT. And that person goes, God damn it. You know what? I really wish I owned a board ape. Well, what happens to the value of board ape? What happens to the prestige of the person who, you know, uh, had the board ape? Uh, these are all behaviors that inside of the game we're trying to drive. It will make all the collections want to come and be a part of it. And it, and it maps to, you know, reality. Uh, even if we go back into like, let's just say like, you know, medieval or dark age time, like the wealthier you are, the, the better your sword is, or you actually own a sword instead of a spear and you own armor, right? Importance is always related to your ability and uh, wealth is always related to your ability to accomplish anything. And when you, when you actually step away from that, you, you break away from kind of reality norms and it feels weird. Mm. Uh, you know, if you went and bought a Ferrari and then you were driving your Ferrari and, and somebody in a 1970s Dodge, which is pouring smoke out of the back or the front, comes driving in and races past you, well, you get pissed at Ferrari. And now Ferrari is worth less. And your worldview is shaking because that doesn't make sense. So we want to mirror uh, value. We want to mirror the signaling value and the importance value of various collections that are involved. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh... – <sighs> What do you see in terms of the future of people trying to copy this? So you mentioned earlier, some things are really hard to copy. It's going to take them a long time because their games aren't tooled that way. But would you consider it a success if like people started copying metagaming and like these, these various six concepts and started incorporating them, you know, 20 years, years in the future, if everyone's doing this, is that good news? You know, if this goes the way I expect, uh, which so far it has, and we'll see, right? If it goes the way I expect, uh, I think games that are early in development are going to be like, okay, let's let's do that instead. And it's hard to copy someone else's strategy because strategy comes from like a deep kind of place inside of the soul, but people will most certainly try to copy. I think the last two things we talked about, uh, uh, actually the inclusion of other NFTs and uh, so the, the bridging of gaps between different collections, the, that inclusivity that we started this talk off with, uh, that I think is going to become much more prevalent. Uh, the idea of the NFT value for other collections having a value, I think that's also going to be 
very prevalent. Uh, and I think the naming conventions, naming things after people, yeah, right? And having that happen automatically inside of the technology, that is what I think people will copy. Uh, and, you know, like, like I expect that to get to Fortnite, right? Even if Fortnite is not Web3 in, uh, you know, in two years, like how do they include now that your gun is named after somebody? Yeah, totally. Uh, like it is absolutely a thing that they'll do, even if they're not doing it on Web3. So I think those three things will be the first things, but I think some games, I mean, if this goes the way I expect, I, I would expect whole new companies to basically be, that was awesome. Do you see what they just did? I can do a better job because look at the shitty game they made. Uh, I can raise $40 million, make a game that's three times better. I'm going to use all of their concepts and make it. And they're going to be out in 18 months. Uh, this happened with Community 3. So there is a company I just met with that uh, we did like three meetings with them. And at the third meeting, they were like, okay, you know, just kind of, I guess to, just to be out there, like, yeah, we, we copied all your stuff. Like we saw how well you were doing with Community 3 and we thought, you know what, can't we do that stuff? And then we try to make a competitor for what you're doing. Literally every major player in Solana is copying uh, Community 3 in one respect or another. Uh, now that's a very broad concept of engage to earn, and this is a bunch of very specific gaming concepts. Uh, if we are medium successful, I would expect ten or fifteen percent of game companies to be copying half of what we're doing. If we're as successful as I think, I think it's going to be forty or fifty percent. I think a huge chunk of companies will go. Wait a second, hold on. Yeah, you know what? Do we do we need to have a really reactive framework that can both react to multiple levels of reality and? make game content much more quickly so we can stay ahead of the content curve. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, and so I, I expect actually a lot of content. Nice. Well, very cool. Where can uh, people learn about Rifters and learn about you? Yeah, I think this podcast is a great place. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they'll listen. <laughs> I know. That's, you know, someone says like, how do I learn about Rifters? I'm like, hey, listen to this podcast first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, we have a, a, a website, we have a discord, uh, the website is uh, rifters.io. Uh, we have a Discord that is probably only relevant if you're already in Web3. If you're in Web3, you probably know how to find our Discord somewhere. Uh, you can find our Twitter, which is uh, rifters.io. So it's at rifters.io, uh, all one word. Uh, slightly different than the website, which is rifters.io. So those are the best places to uh, learn about this. But really, the best place is right here, podcast. Go back and listen to it again. Well, everyone that's listening to the podcast is already listening to the podcast. Though, so we're, try <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> we're trying to send them elsewhere. Uh, and what about you? What about your handles? Yeah, so uh, in Discord, I am uh, the Alchemist. Uh, I am also in the the C1 Discord as Prisoner117 because I'm basically posing as one of the Rift Lords and we're currently locked up because the game isn't live yet. So I am Prisoner117 in our Discord and then I am uh, Andrew Ringline on Twitter, Andrew underscore Ringline on Twitter. All right. Well, I'm excited, man. Uh, so great to see you actually doing your dream and uh, being a game developer. Super cool. Well, hopefully I'm going to find a, a Daniel Meisler Holy Avenger and I'm going to bring you to the game. All right, I'll, I'll be ready. Your, your name's going in there. Like, there's a list where we basically have auxiliary edition names so that there's going to be some Daniel Meisler items out there. All right. We'll see you there. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie, with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time. <laughs>